Hi, I'm Courtney, and this is truly a coincidence. Today's episode is about two young boys who went missing, and although one juvenile and three adults were charged for their untimely deaths, their bodies are still missing to this day. Enrique Rios, a Hispanic male that lived in Esparto, California, was reported missing by his mother on Wednesday, October 19th, 2016. He was last seen at 9 p.m. on Sunday, October 16th, 2016, in his family's home. And Elijah Moore, a black male from Woodland, California, was also reported missing by his mother on Monday, November 16th. Elijah was last seen on Friday, November 4th, 2016. He attended school and later cashed a check at California Check Cashing, located at 115 Main Street in Woodland, California. 16-year-old Enrique Rios and 17-year-old Elijah Moore were friends, and they attended a construction program together through their schooling. In August of 2016, 16-year-old Enrique Rios had just started attending Northern California Construction Training Program in Woodland, California. This was a unique continuation of his high school Cesar Chavez Community School that allowed teens to attend school in the morning and earn money in the afternoon. In the past, Enrique had a minor run-in with the law and had been placed on probation. This program was used to help those on probation redeem themselves through responsibility and hard work. By all accounts, Enrique was excited about the opportunity and was taking it very seriously. He was eager to make his own money, and when his mother took him to cash his first check, He had even swore to her that he would never leave the job, that things were going so well. Around 9 p.m. on the evening of October 16th, everything was normal. Enrique's mother, Lola, and his stepfather, Pedro, were already in bed. This is the last time Lola saw her son alive. He came into their bedroom wearing his pajamas, and he told her that he loved her and said goodnight. This was his typical routine, and Lola had just assumed he would be heading to bed. The following morning, Lola was shocked to discover that Enrique was no longer at home. Usually, the mother of two would wake both of her children up and drop them off at the schools before she herself headed to work. She sent Enrique a text right away, wanting to know where he was. Around 7 a.m., he sent a text message back. He apologized to his mother and said that he had just woken up and that he had accidentally slept over at a friend's house, but he would be headed to school now. His mother thought this was strange, considering her son needed particular clothing for work and school. Since he had left suddenly and in the middle of the night, she obviously knew he didn't have any clothes with him. When prompted, he explained by saying his friend had extra clothes that he could wear. She responded asking if this meant that his friend also intended NCCTP. He confirmed. A short while later, he sent another text. This one was much more despondent, claiming he was under too much pressure lately and needed to get away. He promised to return shortly. Lola made a follow-up call to Enrique's probation officer. He confirmed her worst fears. Enrique never showed up for school that day, and no other student had been absent. There was no way he was with another student. So where was he? Was it possible that someone else was texting Lola from his phone? 
The police did not immediately take interest in this case. At first, they labeled him as a teenage runaway. His mother felt like she was on her own, so she decided to examine his call logs. Since he did not use actual data but used a messaging app, the most recent calls she was able to examine were from August. However, none of his friends that Lola managed to get in touch with offered much assistance. In fact, almost no one was willing to talk to her. She had been very active on social media regarding the search for her son, but still wasn't hearing anything. She had also considered the possibility that he was targeted for his money. A while before his disappearance, he had mentioned to his mother that some kids at a party chased him down and attempted to rob him. Then this case um, went pretty cold or whatever. There wasn't any new leads or anything. And then finally, in February of 2017, the FBI offered its assistance and a $5,000 reward for information leading to the whereabouts of Enrique. In 2017, Lola received a tip from an anonymous and nervous-sounding woman. She called from a payphone, so their number could not be traced back to her. She told Lola that there were two people responsible for kidnapping Elijah and Enrique, and she gave their names. She was afraid to say much else. Lola then took the names to the police. Warrants were issued, and the duo's phones were both compensated and searched. One of the individuals is an adult, and one was a teen. They both deny knowing Enrique and Elijah, although at least one of them was friends with Enrique on Facebook and often liked things that he posted. His mom does not think that he ran away. Enrique was happy with school, his job, and friends. He loved his sister and loved spending time with her. She is sure if he was voluntarily missing, he would have called by now to check on her, at least from a private line or something, not to mention Enrique took none of his personal belongings with him. She reiterates that he had no reason to run away and that she didn't believe that he ran away. A few short weeks after Enrique vanished, another young boy from Woodland, California would suddenly disappear also. Elijah Moore was a friend of Enrique's. He also attended the Cesar Chavez Community School, and he was also a member of the Northern California Construction Training Program. There were only 15 children invited into this exclusive program, and now within the span of 25 days, two of them were missing. November 4th, 2016, Elijah is last seen on a surveillance camera at California Check Cashing in Woodland. According to Elijah's mother, Alicia, Elijah called her and spoke with her while in the store. He asked her for his social security number and told her that he would be headed home with the money shortly. When Elijah didn't return home, Alicia called his good friend Andre. Andre told her that Elijah was supposed to meet up with him for his break at work, but he couldn't get a hold of him. Andre made another attempt to get a hold of Elijah after work, but that was still not successful. Andre received a text message from Elijah. The exact content of the message is unknown, but Andre was immediately suspicious of the verbiage in the message. He screenshotted it and sent it to Alicia, Elijah's mom, who agreed that it didn't sound like him. Similar to Lola, Alicia found herself doing her own investigative work. She returned to the check cashing store and spoke with the clerks. They remembered Elijah and said he, when he came in, he was with someone else, a Hispanic boy about the same age. However, they could not reveal any information about the boy. 
including his name. Unlike in Enrique's case, there is at least one witness who reported seeing Elijah after his disappearance. At 3 a.m. that same night, a woman reported seeing a young man matching Elijah's description sitting on her front stoop. She said she was sure it was him because he had asked her for a cigarette and she had said that she had given him cigarettes many times before. Alicia, Alicia, Elijah's mother, has since gone back to visit with her and she says that she does not find the woman to be a credible witness whatsoever. After the FBI joined the investigation and offered a $5,000 reward in his case as well, it was discovered that Elijah's phone pinged in a few locations after his disappearance. First in Woodland, then somewhere else in Yellow County. The exact location is currently being withheld by law enforcement for the sake of the investigation. And then once more back in Woodland. Also, this surveillance video was released to the public. It showed Elijah wearing a backpack and waiting to cash his check. He approaches the desk and does something inside his backpack and leaves the store. To me, it does not appear he is with anyone else. However, we obviously only get to see bits and pieces. Alicia thinks that whatever happened to Elijah more than likely involved someone he knew and trusted. She said Elijah could be aggressive, was very large, and knew some martial arts. He would have not have been an easy target for a random assailant or kidnapper. The case ended up going cold until June 2018, when the police arrested four people on suspicion of their murder, conspiracy, and kidnapping. Sergeant Matt Davis of Yolo County Sheriff's Office confirmed in a press conference that Chandel Shannon Jr., 21, of Winters, was taken into custody on suspicion of murder and conspiracy, as was Jesus Campos, 18, of Woodland, who was also arrested and booked on suspicion of murder, conspiracy, and kidnapping. Jonathan Frost, 21, of Knights Landon, was also taken into custody on suspicion of murder and kidnapping. And a fourth suspect, David Frost, 27, of Knights Landing, is also being charged in this case. Woodland Police Lieutenant Aaron Dello, I might have like murdered, butchered his name. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it, but um, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. So, Lieutenant Aaron Dello, who spoke to reporters, said that the people arrested had been long times persons of entrance. He said that they had been interviewed over the past 19 months of the investigation. After making the arrest, he said, um, Matt Jameson reached out to Elijah's Moore family to let them know that the arrest was made and the investigation was active in the search of her son's body. The Yolo County Sheriff's Office notified Enrique's family of the news and Delio said that he did not know about the reaction. I'm probably literally butchering his name so bad, so <laughs> oops, but... <laughs> My um, skills are only so good. Woodland police have taken charge of Moore's case because he is from Woodland, and the sheriff's department is in charge of Enrique's case because he is from Esparto. What caused him to be kidnapped and murdered was the fact that Elijah angered David by robbing him and making off with $300 worth of marijuana. Prosecutors say that David and... 
Shannon kidnaps the two and they killed them with help from Jesus and um, David's brother, Jonathan. Shannon, a self-described weed dealer who had arranged an ill-fated drug purchase between Elijah and David at a KFC parking lot in Woodland, said that he is eager to clear his name. He said that he is just a witness that didn't call the police. He claims that he's not a murderer. He claims that David was irate over the robbery and he demanded his assistance in getting Enrique to lure Elijah to him. And when Enrique wouldn't go along with their plans, he fatally shot Enrique. And he also said that David showed me his gun and told me I better not tell anybody. And he claims that um, him and Jesus watched David shoot him from the car. A few weeks later, Jonathan and David, the brothers, um, caught up with Moore and killed him. Shanann said, I didn't know any of this was going to happen. He claims that he did not want anyone to get hurt. Two weeks after his arrest in connection with the presumed murders of the two missing Yolo County teens, Jesus Campos told police that he wanted to make things right. He wanted to take the sheriff's office to where the bodies were. So, a two-hour car ride ensued into the Knight's Landing area and neighboring Sutter County. During the ride, Campos described landmarks near the burial sites for Enrico's, Enrique Rios and Elijah Moore, some trees, a rusty pipe jutting from the ground, a lone house in the distance, but ultimately um, the police were unable to find their bodies. Jesus said that when everything went down, it was just a way to try to get Elijah to bring the weed back. The trio picked up Enrique at his Esperado home and took him to a beach along Sacramento River in Knight's Landing under the pretenses that they were going to have a party. As Enrique questioned what was going on, an armed and angry David shot up in the air and told Enrique to step out of the car. Eventually, David told him to strip down. He believed David also told him to pray. After firing multiple bullets in Enrique's general direction, David fatally shot the 16-year-old in the stomach and in the head. Later, the trio ate dinner at Denny's in Woodland before returning to Knight's Landing to borrow a truck from a neighbor of David's family and dispose of Enrique's body, according to Jesus, who says he was dropped off at home before the others carried out that task. However, it appears Mr. Campos was trying to take himself away from being there, said Officer Garcia, adding that Jesus gave indications that made me believe that he was there. In addition to describing Enrique's murder, Shannon said that David told him that he had adopted and killed Elijah on November 4th, 2016 as payback for the robbery. Shannon said that he wasn't there, but that Jesus and Jonathan and David were there um, and that they abducted him from a woodland shopping center and bludgeoned him with a tree branch and shot him near Enrique's burial site. Authorities still have not tracked down the teen's remains, despite having received new information following the arrest that led an extensive two-day search in rural Knight's Landing. 
In November of 2018, a jury declared that David Frost was guilty of murdering Enrique and Elijah. Jurors also convicted the 28-year-old man of kidnapping, as well as the special circumstances of multiple murders and kidnapping with intent to commit murder, both of which carry a mandatory sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. David's brother, Jonathan Frost, told his story in court, turning to a prosecution witness in exchange for a plea deal in which he admitted to the second-degree murder in connection with Elijah's killing. Jonathan testified that his brother confessed to killing Enriquez and later ensured that all four defendants played a role in Elijah's beating before David delivered the final gunshot. We are both going to go down for this because we are guilty of this crime, Jonathan said, later adding that he went along with Elijah's killing because if he didn't, he was afraid of what David, his brother, would do to him. Collaborating the witness statements, there was cell phone GPS data that placed the defendants at the robbery scene and both locations where Enrique and Elijah were last seen alive. Shannon, 21, had been found mentally incompetent to stand trial and was due back in court December 18th for further proceedings on that issue. In August 2019, a YOLO Superior Court judge found him mentally competent to stand trial, saying that it was the defendant's own words that convinced him that Shandale Shannon Jr. understands the nature of the court's proceedings and can assist his attorney in presenting a defense. Judge David Rosenberg cited Shannon's recorded jailhouse calls with relatives in which he demonstrated knowledge of the charges that he faces in connection with the disappearance and presumed death of Enrique and Elijah. Shannon was initially evaluated by psychologist Dr. Robert Wagner, who deemed him incompetent for trial, not due to mental disease or defect, but rather a developmental disability, which resulted in his case being referred to Alta Regional Center in Sacramento for further evaluation. Alta Regional concluded Shannon had no disability, however, and did not qualify for its services. After Rosenberg hinted in February, he was inclined to reinstate Shannon's criminal proceedings. Shannon's lawyer submitted a second evaluation report from a psychologist, Dr. Donald Siggins, who concluded Shannon suffers from a neurocognitive disorder likely due to chronic drug abuse that also hinders his mental competency. But neither Wagner nor Siggins had taken into account the context of Shannon's jailhouse phone calls, Rosenberg noted. After reading a transcript of the conversations, Wagner last week submitted a submental report in which he now concludes that Mr. Shannon was not honest with him during the interview and that Mr. Shannon is in fact competent. Shannon is heard during these calls asking which charge brings the least prison time, as well as discussing legal concepts such as burden of proof, preponderance of evidence, and beyond a reasonable doubt, the judge said. With that, Rosenberg reinstated his criminal proceedings, suspended almost a year ago when his attorney, Bob, Bob Spangler, first declared a competency doubt. Shannon, 22, returns to court in September 2019 for a trial-setting conference. He is still awaiting trial since COVID-19 happened. Everything has slowed down since then. In June 2019, a Yolo Superior Court County judge ruled that Jesus Campos belongs in an adult court for his alleged involvement 
meant in the presumed deaths of Elijah and Enrique. The evidence shows that Jesus was a willing participant with a group he likes to be a part of. Both Frost brothers have been convicted so far. So David and Jonathan have been convicted. David at trial and Jonathan in the plea deal in which he agreed to testify against the others in exchange for a lesser sentence. Jesus had his first adult appearance in June 2019. According to testimony, he was present for both murders and took an active role in Elijah's death. Then allegedly he bragged about it to his friends after Annie allegedly tried to mislead the police investigation. The judge doesn't believe that he could be rehabilitated within the next five years because Jesus expressed last lack of remorse for the killing in a recorded jailhouse convo with a police informant who asked if he regretted his actions. Jesus said, part of me does, part of me doesn't, and we did what had to be done. He is also still awaiting trial. COVID-19 has slowed down his case as well. Okay, so now we're going to fast forward all the way into September of 2020, which would be this month, since today is the 30th. Um, and a letter has derailed the trial for the remaining two suspects, Shandell Shannon Jr., who is 23 now, and Jesus Campos, who is 20 now. Um, Campos and Shannon were on track to face a Yolo County jury next week, nearly four years after the alleged murders, when Shannon's defense attorney, Bob Spangler, announced a new development in the case. That would take additional time to explore. A letter was received by Mr. Shannon, Spangler said, during a court hearing before Judge David Rosenberg, noting that the document was reported to and collected by the Yolo County District Attorney's Office. It is now in the process of being evaluated by an expert for authenticity. It is expulsory in nature to Mr. Shannon, probably as well to Mr. Campos. Spangler then began to detail the letter's contents, getting only as far as assuming that it is from, indeed, Jonathan Frost, and it apologizes for. And that is all that um, was said in public when prosecutor requested that the specifics about the letter be discussed privately among the judge and the attorneys. Afterward, Rosenberg announced that he found good cause to delay the trial. The case is back in court September 2020 so um, <clears throat> for a trial setting conference, so that should set the trial in 2020. So um, I tried to look up anything else, and I couldn't see where they went to court. I couldn't see the court date or anything like that, um, maybe because it just happened. That's why the, there hasn't been much coverage about it, because it did happen this month. So, basically, that is all that I could find on this, and it seems like the letter, um, who knows if that letter is real or what, but it seems like um, Shannon's defense attorney um, is going to just try and say that um, whatever it says that apologizes for something, so he's pretty much going to try and probably put all the blame on Jonathan or whatever. 
Um, I'm not sure, obviously, I haven't read the letter since specifics about it are private. So, yeah, so that's all I know for now. And whenever I hear any updates on this case, I will definitely come back with an update on whether these two men are going to be charged and charged guilty, hopefully. Join me next time on Truly a Coincidence to hear me talk about some spooky stories since it's spooky season. I am going to be covering some um, horrific murderers or serial killers um, who have inspired horror movies like Friday the 13th, Saw, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just any scary freaking movie.